it is a four-hour movie about a 40-some-odd-year-long story. So if I had to say, you know, it's a film that it's attempting to have an exploration of the Grateful Dead that is as unique as they were. The Grateful Dead's first official career-spanning documentary, it's called Long Strange Trip, The Untold Story of the Grateful Dead. Executive producer on the project was Martin Scorsese. And for this week's program of Dead Air, we're going to be talking with the director, Amer Barlev. Really cool guy to talk with. Not only does he know his stuff about the Grateful Dead, but he also knows his stuff about movies, music, rock docs, and just uh, being... A true, pure human being. And in this day and age, sometimes it's hard to find a, a true, pure human being. And it sounds like Amir Barlev has a lot of time on his hands because when I was talking with him, I he was just about ready to pick his kids up from school. And it's like a year and a half later, I'll just say one thing. I can't figure out what to do next. The release date was May 26, 2017. It made its premiere at Sundance, followed by its exclusive release with Amazon Prime. Like I never have gone this long between films. But I just feel like, nah, nah, that, that won't live up, you know? <laughs> like, I just, I have to tell you, like, it's been like 18 months of feeling like I kind of said it now, you know? Since that time, the movie has been nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Music Film. I feel really privileged to have been able to make something that's like, you know, it's going to be out there. And I still am like uh, doing somersaults. Those somersaults are definitely well-deserved. Amir Barlev has been trying to convince the Grateful Dead community about a documentary on the band for over a decade. He knows that many directors have attempted to document the band, and many directors have failed in doing so. There's, of course, that one story about a film crew documenting the band, and the Grateful Dead ended up dosing the film crew. I mean, you can sit there and, yeah, we're making a film, but the film's, you know... Next week, next year, who knows what? This is now. Nice to see you today. They said, so you want to make a film? Fine. You know, we'll go for that. Care for a beer? Meanwhile, let's see if you can handle this while it's all going on, because we can. This is what we like to do, you know what I mean? So, good luck. We need a director. Okay, cut. 29, take one. Head slate. This is the Grateful Dead. So the film crew slowly came under the influence of psychedelics. So that film never became produced or producible. So when Amir Barlev appeared up on scene, he was very persistent and he's very honest on why he believes he was the man for the job. Because I was the most stubborn. I mean, I know why they went with me. I dragged them kicking and screaming. I don't think they wanted to go with me. I mean, frankly, you know, they didn't even really know me until it was too late. You know, it was what I did eventually was get a lot of people around me who they felt more comfortable with. One of his early supporters was John Perry Barlow, who wrote over 30 songs for The Grateful Dead. And I was exasperated. He said, yeah, Jerry used to say to me, Grateful Dead Productions, the place where good ideas go to die. J.P. Barlow in his corner, he was able to leapfrog to other members in the band. But even at that point, it really didn't matter. Actually, Weir and Billy watched one of my movies. That was really nice. But I, I actually mean it when I say it was like already 
too late at that point. To get the band to do a, this documentary, Amir Barlev admits that he didn't do a pitch at all. He There was no elaborate case to the members to try to convince them that they should do a documentary. He literally just beat down the doors for 11 years, and he admits that he basically just wore them down. Getting the Grateful Dead to agree to things is like herding kittens. Although members of the band may have passed or looked the other way when it came to a project of doing a documentary on the Grateful Dead, one thing was for sure, that time wasn't going to pass the Grateful Dead. So while the cats were being herded and the stars were beginning to align, even though it was 2017, the band had been broke up for over 20 years, it was still a good time to do a Grateful Dead documentary. And for that matter, any time is a good time for a Grateful Dead documentary. It has to do with the ethos of the Grateful Dead and their integrity. That is the thing that draws people to it, is that like it's not a show in that sort of phony way that most of our lives have, have become. He breaks it down even more, talking about how music is organized and polished up. That way, the best guitar solo is highlighted and best stage banter between songs is rehearsed. When it comes to the Grateful Dead, mm-mm, they didn't do that. The Grateful Dead, they were always just like, look, we'll, we'll even fail in front of you. Better that than to, to have a kind of a polished, uh, curated performance. Another factor of the band that makes them stand out, even in today's times, is their generosity. The members share their music with the fans, and they also stand up for their fans. Amir Barlev says the Grateful Dead are modest. Bob Weir still is in the same house that he bought in the early 70s. He could have cashed in a million times over on our cost as fans. They didn't do that. The Grateful Dead, they kept their higher ideals in mind, and that set a precedent that people, not even rock and roll fans, but of all people, can follow. And that principle is just keep your priorities straight. This is Dead Air. This is where we get into Grateful Dead recordings, 1965 to 1995. I'm Corey Daniels. I'm your host. And this week, our guest is Amir Barlev. He is the director for Long Strange Trip, the untold story of the Grateful Dead. It's the official Grateful Dead documentary. That documentary is getting released as DVD and Blu-ray. Part of that package is a lot of bonus footage, including a nice little concert that the boys did in 1970. Amir Barlev talks about going through the archives with the Grateful Dead archivist, Dave Lemieux. Early on, like I'm talking about very beginning, you know, the very first thing he said is like, I'm giving you all this other stuff, but the choice thing is this Hollywood 1970 footage. Trust me. You know, and I didn't exactly trust him. I still said, oh, give me all the rest of it, you know. Um, but then, sure enough, he was right. That was uh, that is the creme de la creme, you know. And it's it's great because it's just, it's shot so beautifully until it isn't shot beautifully. But it's 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 very intimate, you know. And, and, and in a way, it was, it was one of the things that we struggled with cutting so much because there you really don't want to cut stuff out, you know, because it's like there's sort of looks of Jerry's and looks of pig pens and stuff that we really struggle, you know, forget about whether or not Box of Rain is in. It's like some of this stuff is just, you just want to play it in its real time, you know, because it's like a feature film starring the Grateful Dead, you know, like a, 
an observational documentary starring the Grateful Dead. So that's what we did. We we just put it out, you know, basically without cuts, and that really is like for fans. The deluxe edition also includes two live performances from 1989. Those songs, Dear Mr. Fantasy and Death Don't Have No Mercy. Now, snippets of all the bonus content were used in the film, but this marks the first time that they are going to be released in their entirety. And then I do a, a commentary with uh, one of our fantastic editors, John Walter. Getting some commentary from the uh, director, Amir Barlev. He's the uh, director of the psychedelic film A Long Strange Trip, and he really got psychedelic when he talked about making the film as it would be an internal now. On some level, it's chronological, and it's going through time. But on another level, it's trying to kind of um, follow in the footsteps of a song like Ripple or, or a song like Addicts. We're trying to erase the intervening years. We're trying to erase the distance between us as people and sort of listen to what the message of the Grateful Dead is and listen in that psychedelic way where you're trying to see how it relates to to you right this minute. Weaving the past into the present moment is done by showing cameras being hauled into people's houses, seeing how they are with everyday life, what they're up to nowadays, and going back into the Grateful Dead archives. So like, for instance... We visit with people. Then there was the climatic scene where they interviewed Robert Hunter. We did the thing where we kind of ambushed uh, Hunter. He's notoriously reclusive, um, so I doubt that he would be willing to sit for an interview, but he might. I could call him and or text him or something. If you can get him to talk, it would be interesting to see. Throughout the movie, the film crew was warned about Robert Hunter and particular questions that you just don't ask. I think a lot of times people want to know what he meant by this or that line. No artist wants to sit there and explain why he did what he did. That's sort of counter to the whole point of doing something artistic. So that was just a playful thing. But they ended up asking that question anyways. Obviously, the conversation was a little bit longer, but that really did distill it down. And, and the story was you know, pretty much what you see. It. For years, Amir Barlev had been trying to rope Robert Hunter into an interview without success. But then in the filming of the movie, he found his golden opportunity. You see it when Weir says, you know, well, we could go, you know, we could go call him right now and all this stuff. Suddenly, like, okay, this is going to happen. And then that afternoon, we were talking and trying to figure out, like, it's like a dog trying to catch a pickup truck, you know, like, what's it going to do when it actually catches it, you know? And we did, and we, we were about to catch the pickup truck, and it was like, we kind of realized it was never going to work as like a kind of as the way the other interviews work. The film shows the crew ambushing Robert Hunter backstage at a show. It was probably going to be the only way that they were going to interview Robert Hunter. With the other interviews in the film, it, the interviews were long, they were drawn out and very in-depth. Hunter, he's not game for that, and that's probably why he's turned down so many interview requests. This is a man who will pull out a gun and shoot you if you start, you know, analyzing his lyrics. He will not answer questions like that. No, you can't explain. Nobody will. No, I can't explain his songs, no. He won't do it, nor should he. If he did, the illusion would be gone. And they ain't no fun, you know? Why won't he talk to me? And 
you know, what's his, why doesn't he like to do interviews? So we already knew we could build this kind of cipher into the film where people are saying, like, whatever you do, don't do that, you know, and all stuff. And just, so at some point you just think, oh, you know, what's the best piece of film? And the best way to go is for him to remain a cipher. Pretty much, if Hunter was going to dissect the lyrics of Dark Star, it would have been demystifying. Now, if he would have talked about how he doesn't like doing interviews because he wants fans to have their own interpretation, well, that would also be an element of demystification. There's no, like, big secret at the heart of the Grateful Dead in the same way, you know, Zen Buddhism, you come into the master and you say, enlighten me, and he says, have you finished your rice? And you say, yeah, he says, go wash your bowl. The secret at the heart of the Grateful Dead is similar to the secret at the heart of Buddhism or whatever. It's something to do with this thing right now that's happening, you know, the present moment and yourself. We wanted to try to get that, you know, so we kind of built this scene where we just provoked him a little bit and get him to say, you know, in essence, uh, I'm not going to answer that, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically what it looks like. Let's see. Dark Star crashes, pouring sun and ashes, wheezes and tatters, the forces tear loose from the axis. Uh, searchlight casting for faults in the clouds of delusion. Shall we go, you and I, while we can, through the transitive nightfall of diamonds? What is unclear about that? I mean, it, it says what it means. This is Dead Air. This is where we get into Grateful Dead recordings, anything from 1965 to 1995. This week's guest is Amir Barlev. He is the director for the Grateful Dead, official Grateful Dead documentary titled Long Strange Trip, The Untold Story of the Grateful Dead, now out on DVD and Blu-ray. This is Dead Air. I'm Corey Daniels talking with the director of the movie, Amir Barlev, and he said that he kind of wanted to steer away from the typical rock doc formula. You know, music docs can can kind of reinforce this notion of like there being like a set of no- a body of knowledge that you're kind of supposed to have and uh, you got to have it. The goal was to explore the band as more of a collective. They wanted to include the people that weren't just on stage, but also the fans. And they didn't want to make a documentary that made people feel like they were getting a history lesson. You kind of have to eat your spinach because this is an important band. Nothing should be spinach, you know. It should only be relevant insofar as the storyteller makes it relevant. So I tried not to kind of do that thing where you show the panhandle and say, it was a tumultuous time. The film goes on a journey into deep secrets and mysteries, like the scene with New Yorker magazine writer Nick Palmgarten geeking out on tapes. My generation got into it mainly through tapes. The core of the canon reached people through this hand-traded stuff. If this plays, it's a miracle. And to kind of explore them, I guess, more as, as a collective. I went to boarding school. You know, we were in a place where there wasn't much else to do besides, you know, sit around, listen to music and talk. A collective that, you know, wasn't just the people on stage, but, you know, radiated outward to include us as fans. Well, you listen to one and you begin to understand what's going on in that tape and you become interested in it. You listen to it over and over again. And then you get another one and you begin to learn what's going on in that one. You begin to understand the language of that one. Play. And, you know, over time, you build up this collection and you listen to them enough so that you begin to see an arrangement and a sequence and a narrative of the band's performances as they're represented by these tapes, which 
you know, our little snapshots from each year, each tour. To start with, you know, you're not really aware of one year being different from another. But after a while, you begin to say, oh, you know, 1971 sounds like this. Nineteen seventy-three sounds like this. Later, you learn that there was variation even within that year, within that week, within each night. I think that's part of the appeal. You start to understand what's going on in the music. You hear the patterns. You hear the deviations from the patterns. The differences between recordings makes it seem alive. Really hearing how each you know musical performance represents an evolution or devolution of the band over time. For the discerning deadhead, it's sort of an endlessly fascinating body of work to say, though this one, this one's good in this way, and this one's not good in this way. You know, this one, this one's really good, and this is why. There's a central irony to the whole thing, which is the band that was sort of most dedicated to the ephemeral experience of playing live, performing something once in a certain way, is the band that's been sort of most obsessively recorded and cataloged in history. You know, I never had a great collection. In fact, some of the people that had the great collections, I mean, they were, they're, they're weird, you know? I hope we take the film audience on a journey, which makes sense when they get there. And they may be like partially laughing at Nick Palmgarden and, and, and me and us, you know, deadheads um, because of our craziness around tape collecting. But at the other hand, they're like, you know, that laughter has a lot of love because it's like, oh, right. I, I can imagine. And they might even see their own hobbies or fetishes around whatever it is reflected in the, his uh, kind of obsession around tape collecting. There's so much going on with the Grateful Dead. You have interesting band members. You have the band going through ups and downs. You have interesting fans. You have, uh, well, you can't forget about the music. For, for the most part, the film, A Long Strange Trip, does have a focus, and that focus is Jerry Garcia. He's a phenomenal interviewee. There's a, an incredible wealth of interviews, you know, from the very beginning to the very end of his life, which which articulate the things that the Grateful Dead were going through in a, in a, like a really amazing way. Something else that makes Jerry's life almost made for film is that there's a level of Jerry being a tragic figure. He passed away at the age of 53. His father died at a young age. He was also a fan of the strange and terrifying. So Jerry Garcia was a focal point, which may have left some other members of the band or certain events in the band kind of get overshadowed. I 
will go out on a limb and say, you know, that's more foundational to kind of the ethos of the Grateful Dead. And that's not to take away from anybody. It's just the way things came together. If the crew would have done a round robin, the story would have easily been taking on a confusing ride. However, there are scenes dedicated to Bob Weir's interesting rhythm styles, uh, Mickey Hart's polyrhythms. There's other reasons why we chose Jerry, you know. It's just one way of getting through the story and there's of course many others you can look at a music documentary as a history lesson a completest and exhaustive look on a band that's and that's totally valid now amir bar lev says that if they would have went that route and failed to mention a key factor about the band they would have failed entirely so he went another route the other way of knowing is you decide you know that like you're telling a story And the story has its own criteria and its own needs that are very different in a way than exhaustive. That way of storytelling gets exemplified in the film. When you hit the uh, 80s, you have to put in account that you've been watching the film for a little more than three hours. We've just kind of put on the table in our telling of the history this problem that Jerry Garcia has with his charisma and that he's using hard drugs to kind of put a buffer up between him and the increasing numbers of people who kind of want a piece of him in one way or the other. With that method of storytelling, once you put that piece of the story on the table, you really can't take that piece off or put another piece of the story on the table or it would give a viewer whiplash. So you really just got to stick with that what you put on the table. So if you stuck with Jerry Garcia and the 80s, you got to stick with Jerry Garcia and what was going on in the 80s. You cannot then at that point go into like the proper Wikipedia subcategory around, say, Brent Midland, you know, because it doesn't work as a piece of storytelling, you know, because at that point, it'll seem like a distraction. It'd be like as if, you know, you're watching the end of, I don't know, Star Wars or something, and the big, the big fight is happening, and they're trying to destroy the Death Star, but somebody starts saying like, you know, by the way, these, you know, TIE fighters are kind of interesting. They were built this way, you know, and like there's another story over here about this guy. It's sort of like a tennis match, right? I mean, a ball goes on the other side of the court and then it goes to the other side of the court. And you have to know that even though the ball is on one side of the court, there's still something going on on the other side of the court. So it can kind of get confusing and it can also leave out some crucial stuff. As a fan, at times was very challenging because I love Brent Midland and I love, you know, any number of things. I mean, many of my favorite songs aren't even in the film. And so I understand why it's frustrating sometimes for fans. But they have to understand that that's that's what we're trying to do is is carve carve a path through a huge amount of material. So you want to give somebody the story that insiders know, give them some of those uh, nuggets of information, but you also have to tell that story like it's at a dinner party. So it's a dilemma, right? Each way is right, and also each way is wrong. That's like the compliment that I treasure the most when people say to me, uh, you know, like, you finally bridged the gap between me and my husband. It, it was always meant to, like, at least you understand each other now, <laughs> like, at least somebody who might still hate the Grateful Dead or whatever, like, at least understands why those of us who love the Grateful Dead do. Okay, so that makes sense, right? Some people are going to be a little upset that they didn't get, maybe there wasn't a story that wasn't highlighted in the movie, but I was really kind of blown away when he uh, made this comment. Whenever there'd be something that just felt like it was sort of like for the fans only, what I would do is 
I would either not put it in or what I'd actually do is I would put it in while something else was happening. You know, little kind of Easter eggs kind of things to keep deadheads, you know, <laughs> like myself, you know, happy. I could kind of see how that makes sense. You know, you, you throw something out there just for the Grateful Dead fans and your common viewer probably isn't going to catch it or it might not be useful for them. But I was kind of interested in talking to Amir Barlev, the director for The Grateful Dead, the official Grateful Dead documentary, The Long Strange Trip, the untold story of The Grateful Dead, because you know I almost bite my tongue saying this, but I, I've talked to people, whether it was during interviews here on Dead Air or uh, just talking to some hardcore deadheads, uh, headier than thou, headiest of them all, a lot of hardcores, man, they didn't dig the movie Long Strange Trip. And so I was I was glad to get the clarification that he was kind of doing the non-Wikipedia, doing his own thing, telling his story or telling a story. However, he carved that out. I was it made me appreciate the movie more, but I was also interested in hearing what he thought of Grateful Dead fans not digging the movie. They're not criticizing the film on its merits. What they're doing is they're criticizing its lack of uh, exhaustivity. So that if I was a DJ and I put on one song from an album and you start saying, well, how could you not have played this other song or whatever? It's like, it just seems so stupid, you know, and it's actually embarrassing to me. You know, it's like, and a lot of times it feels like it's really about them. You know, like when people start off like on a chat board saying like, I saw 210 shows, like, dude, you know, like you need to take more acid because you got to get rid of that ego, you know, like, and so I feel like a lot of the kind of the tribal fandom thing in our community is sometimes at odds with what I think is like, you know, the thing that we're all trying to do with the Grateful Dead, which has to do with the disillusion of ego, you know, so so sometimes it bothers me. You can probably hear it in my voice, you know, like, I mean, and I get it. Not everybody's supposed to love every part of the film. I mean, that's for sure, you know, and yeah, sure. There's even things in the film I probably do differently now, you know, I haven't watched it a couple of times, but like when people are, you know, just like criticizing certain choices or whatever, just because other choices weren't made, it feels stupid kind of to me. So yeah, there it is. <laughs> It wasn't the first time here on the Dead Air radio program that we encountered the topic of super intense, critical deadheads. For instance, when I was talking with Joel Selvin, he's the author of a book titled Fare Thee Well, the final chapter of The Grateful Dead's Long Strange Trip. He wrote a book that was a tell-all biography of the epic infighting of The Grateful Dead in the years following uh, Jerry Garcia's death in 95, where the, quote, core four were reduced to conflicting agendas, strained relationships, catastrophic business decisions that would leave the iconic band in utter disarray. And a lot of these topics, some deadheads would want to look the other way. The deadheads, bless them all, they're the most contentious and debatable group of people I've ever run across, and I love them for it. The fact is, this just, you know, cheers me no end. The, to be the subject of this kind of controversy and debate, uh, you, you can't hope for anything better if you're putting out a book. Obviously, not all reviews are bad. Amir Barlev says that he's extremely grateful and very happy with how the uh, movie turned out and also the feedback that he's been getting. When you do these books or you do these films or you do these compilations or whatever, what you're doing is 
you're turning new people on or you're kind of sending something into the future. And that makes me really happy is, is the thought that like, even if it's a couple new deadheads or whatever, you know, that they're going to see the movie and seek out the Grateful Dead. Big thanks to Amir Barlev, director of Long Strange Trip, The Untold Story of the Grateful Dead. Now out on DVD and Blu-ray, I'm Corey Daniels. You've been listening to Dead Air. Grateful Dead recordings from 1965 to 1995. We'll leave you with some deep philosophical insight from Amir Barlev. And this is how the movie ended. You have to ended. hold that in your mind. The very last thing that's said after four hours is, is Steve Silberman, who's very eloquent deadhead. The thing I wish to... Uh, to relieve future deadheads of is the sadness that they missed something. The thing that the Grateful Dead was is going on at this moment, and it, and it can go on wherever and when, whenever. You know, it's just, it's, and you're kind of missing the point in a way if you are looking backwards. But I'll say sort of like all good truths, there's the counter truth that's also the truth. There is like an alternate way of thinking about it which, you know, is, is maybe not as politically correct of a thing to say, but I'll say it. And, and that is, like, by definition, living things die, too, you know. So if you think it sounds good, then go and enjoy it and have a great time. But when you start to hear people get into this almost like it feels like a kind of a neediness around, um, you know, like, talking about, like, the, the, the continuum of, you know, from Garcia to John Mayer and all this stuff, I sometimes feel it's a little tone deaf because these are simultaneously true. The thing is going to go on forever and the thing ended. You know, those things are both true because it helps you figure out how to continue it in your own brain instead of this backwards looking sort of like monument building kind of thing, which I think is antithetical to what The Grateful Dead is about. I'm real happy with The Grateful Dead. I'm real happy with it. Uh, what I'm hoping is to be able to see some way of extending this idea beyond ourselves. You know, I mean, I want to be feeling that this idea can continue without us. It doesn't have to be the Grateful Dead, but something, you know. Kerouac's books opened up doors for me that, that put me in this life. You know. I would like to do that for somebody else, you know what I mean? And then it'll be there for anybody who's got the spirit to go for it. kids gravitate toward it because you know it's it's that's that's never going to go out of style <laughs> <laughs>